Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we got this message in regards to my last story about Memorial Mound. Um, It says, this came from uh, Tina Marie, who says, the place is still up and still has some empty caskets still inside to this day. Uh, A YouTuber uh, literally just posted an Explorer video of this place yesterday. Creepy, fascinating story. So, wow. So I guess they still haven't cleaned the place out yet. No bodies, but uh, still full of stuff. Hey. At least there are no heads. That's true. That's what I say. Yeah. And I've said it for years. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard you say that. Didn't your grandma used to say that? Yeah. We've also received several messages from people saying, Cat, please tell the uh, dead body parade story. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yep. We have received a lot of those messages. Will you tell it sometime soon? Sometime? Okay. Sure. Like maybe, I don't know. The middle of, middle of this podcast. Don't try to nail <sighs> down a time for that. All right. Uh, I will share it when it feels natural and when I want to, okay. sir. Okay, all right. Thank you. All right. Anyway. I'm currently uh, battling some chest congestion, so you may hear a little bit of that, and I do apologize. It's not the most pleasant thing that, that has ever happened. Also, banjos particularly snortily today. Yeah, so you probably won't be able to tell the difference between the two. Mm, Yes, but you might hear me throwing markers at Banjo as he sleeps. Uh, No one will throw markers at me, hopefully. Yeah, Kat does that. She has a a jar full of uh, colored markers in front of her. And uh, whenever Banjo gets a little bit snortily during any of our recording, she will toss a marker at him. And uh, it, it doesn't do anything ever. Sometimes no, it will. No, it never does any good. And just when we're done podcasting, he'll be lying on his back, sound asleep in a pool of markers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you go first. Oh, good. Yep. Because um, I really am. I'm starting to fade. And so I want this. Okay. You know, okay. <clears throat> so 
This was one of those stories that I had read something on one of those websites, and at the bottom it was like, if you like this, you might like this. And oh, so yeah, I clicked right. on that story and read that story, and then at the bottom it was like, if you like this, you might like this. And so then all of a sudden I'm reading this story, and well, here we go. Got you right in the click hole. So it's November 23rd, 1987, and the bodies of Rick and Gail Brink are discovered. So Rick Brink had failed to show up for work, and so his mom and his dad, Ida and Garrett Brink, went to their son's home on Ransom Street in Park Township in Michigan. And what they walked into was just awful. Ida Brink described it as this. It was so quiet, Ida recalled, and she yelled out, kids, are you home? Are you up? And there was no answer. Then Ida found her daughter-in-law in the bed with a pillow over her head. And she said, I touched her and I turned to Bud and I said, she's dead. Ooh. Rick Brink was found outside the family home, shot twice in the head. He was inside their Chevy Blazer that was parked in the driveway. Gail had also been shot to death. The Brinks had only been married 18 months when their dead bodies were found in their Michigan home. And the slayings shocked the community. It showed up on the cover of newspapers all across Michigan and and nationwide. According to news reports, um, this is what investigators were able to put together. Rick and Gail were shot to death with a 22 caliber weapon. Both suffered multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Investigators determined that they were killed November 21st. That's two days before they, they were found. Wow. The couple had just returned home from a wedding. And there was no forced entry to their home. Nothing had been stolen. And a murder weapon was not recovered. Gail Brink at the time worked in purchasing at Donnelly Corp. Rick Brink worked there as well as a supervisor. And that's where they met and then eventually got together and and got married. Rick Brink had a brother named Bud. And Bud spoke out about when he attended the couple's funeral saying this... Father North began the funeral like I've never heard a funeral start before or will ever again. He said, and I quote, this is not the work of the Lord. This is the work of the devil. The day that the couple was found, Gail's brother sought comfort at his on and off girlfriend's house. Her name was Crystal Beelin, and she was the daughter of a church deacon. She and Ryan Wingarden, Gail's brother, had dated on and off for about four years. And he said that he didn't want to be alone um, at the time and slept on the floor next to the couch. Crystal recalled that, you know, he was obviously shaken, um, but overall he seemed okay, except for when her mom came into the room and said to him, asking about his family, you have three sisters. And he snapped at her and said, well, I only have two now. Uh Uh-huh. Crystal said that she thought that that was kind of rough, uh, a, a way to talk to her mom. Yeah. That she was just trying to be kind and connect with him and, you know. But police didn't have a lot to go with. There was uh, very little evidence and uh, the case went cold. 22 years goes by. And in 2009, the Ottawa County cold case team was formed. Details of murders that had been stored away in boxes uh, for decades were about to get another look. And in 2011, detectives Venus Repper and David Blakely were assigned 
to the rink case. Repper said, when you've got a homicide case and you're trying to familiarize yourself with it, you've got to familiarize yourself not only with the case facts, but with the family. Repper said the dynamics of the family uh, change over the years and you're trying to track people down. He said one of the hardest things about cold cases is that you can spend an entire day just trying to find a person. A person, yeah, because, you know, people, families, no matter what happens, they'll drift apart and, you know. People boot, people yeah, die. We don't people know. get married and change their names. People just change their names, though you know how I feel about that. Suspicious. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, anybody whose name has an AKA after it. Ooh. Sketch balls. <laughs> Investigators at the time considered the possibility that the Brinks were victims of mistaken identity, that the murderer or murderers mistook them for those who had previously owned the home because oh. they'd lived there for such a short period of time. And they had no other kind of motives to follow up on. Right. So, okay. They were well liked. They didn't have any, you know, neither of them were connected to the mob or mm. anything like that. They just, they didn't have anything to go on other than, well, maybe they were, it was a mistake. Um, police also looked into the relationships both before and after they were married. Detectives Blakely and Repper contacted and followed up with several people, including Pamela Wingarden, who was Ryan Wingarden's wife. And Ryan Wingarden was interesting for a few reasons. Ryan Wingarden, you may remember, is Gail's brother. Right, okay. Pat Mascaro, who was a friend of the family, told police that she encountered Ryan and his mother a few weeks after the killings. And that they had tried to sell her several items, including a waterbed, for $15. And it wasn't until Pat realized that the bed was where Gail Brink had died Ooh. that she re declined the offer. Wait, wait. She was shot in a waterbed? Yes. And then they tried to resell the waterbed? Correct. Oh, that's just bad form. Because you know it leaks. Apparently not. Because after Pat said she didn't want the waterbed because Gail had been murdered in it, Ryan was like, no, no, no. There's nothing wrong with the bed. It's fine. <laughs> there was no bullet holes in the bed. There was very little blood and we cleaned it all up. Uh-huh. 15 bucks. Yeah. Pat was still like, uh, no, thanks. I don't want your murder bed. Even a good deal on a murder bed. No, thank you. Well, first of all, a murder bed. Secondly, a water bed. A murder water bed. It was the 80s. Yeah. You know, I, I had a friend who lived in a mobile home and, and put a big six-foot water bed in, in it on one end of it, uh -huh. and, it and it ripped the mobile home off the off its, no. off its foundations. <laughs> it, it seesawed down. No. All the furniture slid just like the Titanic from, <laughs> from one, end, one end of the... <laughs> Of Not the mobile true. home to the other, and he was barricaded in his room for mm -hmm. days mm -hmm. and had to live on rainwater and pine cones that he was able to pull from outside of uh -huh. his window. Okay, that part's not true, but the rest of it is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. When I was in high school, I had a waterbed, and uh, my dad found that it was getting increasingly more difficult to uh, heat it. Nah. And it was it was very expensive and it was not it was just a pain for him and he didn't want to to heat it anymore so he was trying to talk me out of keeping the water bed you know you should sure. get yeah you should get a regular bed and i was like yes i i think that's a great plan dad um i will sell you my water bed for a hundred dollars <laughs> wow <laughs> and he agreed to it, well nobody had been murdered in it so right you know. right 
as far as he knew. Yeah, but then he had to buy me another bed, and he thought that was a terrible deal. Yeah, it's not a good deal for him. But, but saved hey, him money in the long run. It's dad economics. <laughs> dad economics. Dad economics. Ryan's surviving sister, Cheryl, had also said that at one point uh, she and Ryan were talking about Gail and her life and her death. And Ryan said at one point, eh, she got to take a trip to the Bahamas. She lived a good life. Oh, and wow. Cheryl was like, Ryan, someone murdered our sister. What are you talking about? And it was she it described it as him kind of like blowing it off. Like, well, yeah, she's fine. It's fine. Yeah, whatever. The Bahamas. Things happen. Yeah. She spent a weekend in Nassau. She deserved to die. She went to that tall pink building. <laughs> and then in addition, uh, Ryan's on and off girlfriend, Crystal, said that at one point, and she couldn't remember exactly when, uh, Wingarden had taken her for a drive, and she said that he wanted to drive past Rick and Gail's house. And she was like, no, I don't like the idea of doing that. The uh, Obviously, the uh, then unsolved murders had, you know, were scary to her. Sure, and of course. She, she didn't like the idea. Plus, it's creepy. That's not suspicious behavior at all on his part. Well, Ryan Wingarden's alibi at the time of his sister and brother-in-law's murder was that he was doing laundry with his new girlfriend, Pam Maricini, and they later married. She's now Pam Wingarden. Okay. They were actually still together at the time of the investigation, the reopened investigation. Okay. So the detectives in 2011 noticed a discrepancy in their interview transcripts and decided to re-interview Pam. And again, this is 22 years later. 22 years later. Okay, wow. So Pam told investigators, as she had so many times, that she and her husband were at a friend's house, they were doing laundry, and watching kids when the killings happened. Things are still not lining up. Things are just, just too many people are saying weird things. Stories aren't quite the same. And yeah, they're not going to be the same from, you know, 22 years later. Of course. But are you okay? <clears throat> yes, sorry. That's okay. So two years goes by, 2013. Detectives, oh, I forgot their names. The two detectives decided they were going to interview Pam again. And finally, she cracked. This is 24 years later. 24 years later. Okay. Pam Wingarden told detectives that... She knew more than she had said that she knew. And the detectives took great care in making sure that they were doing this right. They were gathering the information the way that they needed to um, because they they thought this is the first time that we have a lead on this, you know, in, in more than two decades. This is amazing. Okay, so Pam Wingarden said that she knew that her husband had killed his sister <clears throat> and her husband. Pam said that it was actually before their bodies were discovered, Ryan had taken her to the house oh. and shown her the dead bodies. No. Now, did he do that so it would implicate her or was he just being braggadocious? It was not braggadocious. It was to show her um, what would happen to her oh, if she talked. Okay. Intimidation. He said that he had killed the two of them because he was jealous of how happy they were. He was jealous of how successful they were. And he was worried that Gail would tell her husband there was a family secret. Ooh, family secret. Now we're getting to the good stuff. The family secret was that Ryan and Gail had 
had sexual relations in their teens. Ryan testified, of course, that it was consensual, but prosecutors would say that it was molestation because Mm. Gail was actually pretty young when, when it took place. Wow. And Ryan was so concerned that she would tell someone uh, her husband, who she trusted and felt safe sure, with, sure. that he was willing to kill them both. Holy smoke. So Ryan was arrested on first degree murder charges and went to trial for the murder of his sister and her husband in March of 2014. Pam said that over the years, um, Ryan kept after her to keep his secret secret. Um, he actually wouldn't let her have friends for fear that she ooh, would, ooh. you know, get too close with someone and share the secret. What a nightmare that must have been for her. And and at the time when, when the murders happened, she was just a, quote, new girlfriend. That's right. But she still married the guy. Yeah. And spent a quarter of a century with him. And later on um, in one of the interviews that I read, she was talking about how she had had a really abusive relationship with her father. Like growing up, she was emotionally abused and kept under control all the time. So she was only... She only knew how to have that kind of relationship with a man. She only knew how to be controlled. Sure. And it was incredibly... uh, painful and scary i'm sure to keep this secret but it was also incredibly brave i think to come out eventually and say about her still husband Mm. it wasn't like they got divorced and you know whatever say this is what happened well it's actually in my mind it's better that they still were together when she did it because at least she knew where he was that's true um and probably he wouldn't have let her divorce him no it's in fact now that i think of it maybe that's why she married him maybe Baby. She, yeah, he had uh, complete control over her. Um, she said that she he had also convinced her that she would go to jail because she was holding information, as you said. Um, and he, she wasn't allowed to like have more than one or two beverages, alcoholic beverages, because he was, you know, constantly on her about what she might say. Hmm. Eventually, she said, I can't live with this burden on my shoulders. I cannot live with this. And the mother of four was a witness at the trial. Her husband, though, actually had to be removed from the courtroom during her testimony. The judge tossed Ryan Wingarden out after repeated outbursts during his wife's testimony. So she would be on the stand stating what had happened and he would stand up and you know point at her and scream like i can't believe you're lying to the police i can't believe you're saying these things you know it's all lies you know it's all lies Hmm. and even you know even right there he's trying to intimidate her in front of all these people it's usually that doesn't bode well for for one in a court of law mm -mm. no Mm. generally when a judge says shush you shush yeah So on March 28th, 2014, the jury found Ryan Wingarden guilty of two counts of first degree murder for the deaths of Rick and Gail Brink. And it took the jury four hours of deliberation. Upon the verdict, his own sister, Cheryl, said, we're done. And we finally got him. Did she? Were they suspicious of him? All of these years, they she yeah, was uh, um, she was the one who he had been like, eh, she went to the Bahamas. Too. Right. So Here, buy her waterbed for 15 bucks. <laughs> and less than a month later, the judge who sentenced him said it was a brutal homicide and said to Ryan Wingarden, you are a brutal, cold blooded murderer and handed him two life sentences without the possibility of parole. 
And there he sits. And there he sits. And again, what state was that in? Michigan. In Michigan. Okay, so they don't have the death penalty there. Do they? I don't think so. Does Michigan have the death penalty? Here's what I found on the web for does Michigan have the death penalty. It was abolished in 1846. Michigan hasn't had the death penalty since 1846. I kind of remember something about that. We talked about the death penalty Mm. uh, in an earlier episode, and I sort of remembered, but I didn't want to misstate. Sure. Certainly certainly premeditated. Uh, No question about it. Right, and he obviously has like this long history of uh, manipulation and abuse. So it just seems like a really stupid thing to do, though. To, to first of all, to kill those two people, but then to bring his new girlfriend over and show her the bodies with the intent of intimidating her. Why didn't he just shut up? You know, because because when he showed her that, then he had the rest of his life worrying about, is she going to tell somebody? Right. And that may have been a way to control her in other ways, too. Mm. Like, do you see what I'm capable of? Right. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't mm. know what goes on in his noggin. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, but, no kidding. But that's that's what that strikes me as that kind of personality to just say, like, see what I can do. You, you know, you'll, you'll right. do what I say. Because, right. Blah. And he's obviously someone that needs to control people. Two things. Number one, I'm really glad that uh, they solved that case and that he is doing time. And number two, I'm really glad that um, waterbeds are no longer a thing. Yeah, me too. Those were awful. Also, just one of the things that I love, and I, I shouldn't say I love this story, but I love a solved cold case. I love it when detectives dig in and find people and mm. track down leads after 22 years I know. and stick with it. And I mean, it wasn't that they opened this and they solved it the next month. It still went on for years. It's amazing to and me. And that, that to me is so um, satisfying it, because it could be just one of the many that's never solved, but instead they happen to open that box and they happen to say, yes, let's, let's, let's dive in. And I don't know. Wanna, I'm just real proud of them. I want to go watch Cold Case now. That was a good show. Yeah. Not to be confused with Cold Case Files. Different right. Different show. Different show. The one I'm talking about was the drama that was on, right, uh, yeah, it was on Sunday nights years ago that they don't have anymore. You can't find it anywhere because I, I'm guessing it's because they used period music yeah, and they couldn't get uh, the copyright release for a, a lot of those songs, much like uh, what held up the release of the wonder, the wonder years. years. I knew that's the one you were going to reference. Yep. yep. Didn't they end up releasing that with different music? Though? Yeah, it was horrible. Well, ultimately they did get all the licensing and they were able to release it with the uh, oh, original okay. songs or most of them anyway. But yeah, for a while they were on, I think it was uh, Netflix or something and it just had really cheesy production music in the background. It was not the same. I don't know. Not the same. I I can't say I ever really cared for that show anyway, which I know makes me in the minority mm. and, and I, I'm not going to go fight with anyone about it, but... It just never really did it for me. Yeah, well, says the lady who had a waterbed. Don't judge me! (laughs) And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. That Thing in the Middle, this episode, tweets that kind of sum up marriage and things we can all identify with. This will not be the last time we do this. No. Number five, watching husband sleep. Me, I just love him so much. Husband snores. Me, I can't live like this. (laughs) Number four. Dating, you're perfect, you can do no wrong. Marriage, 
That's not where the spoons go, you idiot. Number three, me on my deathbed. Wife, is that what you're going to wear? Number two, I'm at my most ridiculous when I'm texting my husband to ask if my dogs miss me. Oh, that's that's us. That like is it. so us. Like you make me send you pictures. Wife, stop spending money on stupid stuff. Me, okay. A little later in the day. Wife, what the hell? Dog walks by in a tuxedo. <laughs> me, he's getting married, Karen. Hashtag relationship goals. This is a test of the Box of Oddities emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual Box of Oddities, I'd be talking a lot faster. On August 20th. 2007, on Jedediah Island, British Columbia, Canada. A girl was visiting from Washington State, and she's just walking along this beach by herself. Did she find a foot? You ruin everything. She found a foot! You ruin everything. Did you look ahead at my stuff? No, I love this story. Okay. I mean, no, I don't, but All right. I love it. Okay. It's she- awful. I hope everyone's well. Yeah, she... <laughs> Tell me all about it. Okay. She saw lying on the beach a uh, a shoe, and it was a size 12 Adidas. And being the environmentally conscious type of person that she was, she went over to pick it up and dispose of it. But when she picked it up, she found inside what appeared to be a severed human foot. It was a foot! It was a human foot. Still had its sock on. Sorry if I ruined the surprise. No, that's okay. I was getting right to that point. It was a foot. It was. It was a human foot. Six days later, a couple was walking along Gabriola Island, which is nearby. They also found a foot. Gosh, you ruin everything. They were walking along and they found what appeared to be a shoe on the beach. And uh, sure enough, there was a, a foot in it. This was a size 12 Reebok. Same size as the one before, but different shoe. Interesting. February 8th, 2008. Another shoe was discovered on Valdez Island, British Columbia, Canada. This was a size 11 Nike, and it had a human foot in it. May 22nd, 2008. Another foot, Kirkland Island, British Columbia. June 16th, 2008. Westham Island. A man's left foot was found by two hikers. No shoe? No, it had a shoe on it. Oh, okay. Yep. August 1st, 2008, near Fist, Washington. This was actually on the U.S. side. This is in an area called uh, the Salish Sea, uh, which is a water area that separates British Columbia and Washington State. Okay. So on August 1st, they found the first foot, human foot, on the American side. I'm sorry, just real quick. Um, I've been trying to be more cognizant of this, and I just want to—I just want to bring it up to you. Uh, technically, we're all the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, we would be the United States side because Canada is still part of the Americas. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. No. No. I got you. I'm, I'm just s- trying to. I'm, okay. Okay. I'm okay, doing my okay, best to speak okay. more deliberately. No, that's fine. And I'm not good at it, so it's best if I just point it out when you do things wrong. Okay. Okay. This was the first foot that was found on the United States side of the waterway. And it was a size 11, a right foot athletic shoe. November 11th, same year, Richmond, British Columbia, a woman's left foot was found floating in the Fraser River in a New Balance running shoe. October 27th, Richmond, British Columbia, another foot was found. August 27th, 2010, another foot is found. December 5th, 2010, another foot is found. August 30th, 2011, another foot, all in running shoes. November 4th, 2011, 
another foot is found. I keep waiting for you to give me a date, like November 12th, 2011, and then just something completely unrelated. (laughs) Chick-fil-A opens in Surrey. (laughs) December 10th, 2011, an entire human leg bone and a foot found in a running shoe. January 26th, 2012, another one. May 6th, 2014, another one. February 7th, 2016, another foot washes up. February 12th, 2016, another one. December 8th, 2017, another. May 6th, 2018, another. And five days ago, from this recording, around 2 o'clock, a human foot in a boot was found on Jetty Island Beach. It's still happening. Oh, wow. I didn't realize there was one so recently. All said and done, 20 feet have been found just washed up on beaches in British Columbia and Washington State, U.S. I just Googled where have the feet been found. I can show you a map. Did you say, yeah, please. That's what I was looking for. I just didn't know what region to say. Would I say, what would you, what did you say that was called? The saucy sea? Salish sea. Salish. Salish sounds saucy. <laughs> I like that they use little feet to signify where yeah, the feet had been found. where the feet had been found on the map. It's a foot trail. Yeah. And the thing that's amazing to me about this story, well, there's a number of things that are really intriguing to me. But when I researched this story last week, Mm -hmm. it was before that last foot was found. And it had been nine months since a foot had been discovered. Well, it's so consistent. It just keeps happening. I will be the first to tell you, I am not a occurrence expert an ocean currents right. expert yeah an oceanographer or what no that wouldn't be it i a, think just ocean currents a, expert a, a currents guy or gal a current person i'm well i mean i'm, I'm current i'm hip i'm with it no you're not I'm even not close a, neither of us no you're a little closer than me actually right. a lot but still sometimes i'll yawn during the last commercial break at jeopardy mm-hmm. and i'll be like oh can't wait till this is done yeah so we can get to bed i once threw my back out sneezing what was my point? Oh, yes. I'm not an ocean currents expert. Right. Um, but it looks to me as though they're coming in from the ocean. Yeah. Into the sea. And... and Well, clearly that's what's happening. Well, you, you can't say clearly because you are not... You are also not an ocean currents expert. That's where you're wrong. Oh. I've been withholding information from you. I actually have a degree from that place that gives out stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> Well, in that case, I do apologize. (laughs) So what the hell is going on? I think that's a good question. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that all of the shoes. Now, I can't say for certain that the one they just found last week falls into this category. But up until this point, all of the shoes were manufactured before the year 2004, which is interesting. That is interesting. The first (laughs) shoe was found in... 2007. 2007. Right. And the shoe itself was produced in 2003, distributed mainly in India. The next shoe that was found was uh, manufactured in 2004, but it was sold it was sold worldwide but primarily in North America. So it was right in that area. Now, what what do they know about the foots? They've done some DNA testing. And several of the feet came from the same person. Okay. Like, I think... Probably two of the feet. Well, from one person, yeah. But uh, I think they said something like uh, uh, four people, four individuals. So eight of the feet were from the same people. 
Okay, that makes sense. The shoe that was discovered uh, May 22nd, 2008, the New Balance shoe on Kirkland Island, that was manufactured in 1999. But going through all of them, they, they, they had all been manufactured prior to 2004. What about the level of decomp of these feats? They were pretty much gone. There was one in particular that did still have some flesh on it, but most of them were just bone at this point. And inside the shoe, you know, there are going to be some remnants of of, of tissue, but uh, it would indicate that they'd been in there for a while. What little bit of tissue they were able to find was inside the shoe. But my question, I guess, is... As each foot is being found, is it the same level of decomp or uh, yeah. are the are the newer feats more sea logged yeah. than the older feats? See, that's a good question. And uh, no, they're all different, uh, different degrees of, of, of decomp. So, OK, OK. So so the, first, the, case. the first thing that, that people started speculating was serial killer, serial killer. Right. Exactly. But other than the bizarre nature of these feet washing up on on the shore, they really had no evidence that this was happening. Another theory at the same time was that these were feet that belonged to victims that died in the Asian tsunami on the 26th of December in 2004. But in that case, you would think that all of the, the, the feet would have been... From De- the same time period. Yeah, yeah, decomposed and all at the same rate or, or close to it. Another theory was or one explanation was that uh, some of the feet were those of four men who had died in a plane crash near Quadra Island in 2005, whose bodies were never recovered, though uh, one of the feet has been determined to be from a female. And by the way, I'm getting my information from Wikipedia, uh, thenews.com.au and Mental Floss. And I don't know, maybe you're going to talk about this. Maybe you don't know the answer. I don't know. But do they think there's any significance to the fact that most of these feet are in running shoes? Yes. Okay. Yes, they do. And that is part of the official explanation, which they really didn't come up with until just a couple of years ago. And of course, it's not 100% this is it, but this is the most likely um, scenario. They don't think it was a mass murderer or a serial killer. Disagree. Okay. They don't think it was uh, remnants of the Asian tsunami. They don't think it was from a plane crash necessarily or from a uh, one specific event. They determined that the woman's foot, they did some DNA testing and they matched it to a woman who had uh, committed suicide by jumping off a bridge near that area Mm -hmm. a few years before. And so that suggested that some of these people could have uh, died from suicide by jumping off this one particular bridge. And then their feet came off? One of the feet was matched to a man who went missing while fishing 25 years before they found his foot. Wow. Yeah. And as you had mentioned, most of these feet were in running shoes. Okay. And the theory goes, of course, the running shoes are pretty buoyant, and sometimes air pockets get trapped inside the shoe, which makes the shoe float to the surface. Now, a lot of people were referring to these feet as severed. I did at the beginning of, of this episode for, well, effect. But they're not really severed. They appeared to be severed. But there are no, like, knife marks or butchering indications. Just separated. Yes, exactly. 
They say basically the shoe acts as a flotation device. So there could be a lot of other boots and flats and mules out there that just sunk. And these are just the ones that made it back to shore. When a person drowns, their body will naturally decompose in water. Uh, Feet are surprisingly well protected inside the rubber and the fabric of the shoe. Uh, The soles can be pretty buoyant, and that sometimes causes those air pockets that I mentioned. That says a lot, not just about our feet, but about ourselves. That is so heavy. Our soles are buoyant. Now, the foot is attached to the leg bone in a very simple way. During the course of natural decomposition in water, a foot will become detached. Okay. And so what what was happening was these bodies were in the water for a while. They had, uh, in fact, in some cases, years. Uh, they had decomposed. The foot became detached from the shin bone. Shook loose. Floated to the surface mm-hmm. because of the shoe. And then the ocean currents carried them in to this inlet. Right. And deposited them on the uh, shores of these islands and um, the coast of British Columbia. Uh in the state of Washington. That's amazing. It's rough because these are just the feet that made it to shore. Yeah, 20. Now, of course, that's over 13 years, but that's a lot of feet to show up on your beach. You just think about like how many feet not in sneakers, you know, are deposited in our lakes, rivers, and oceans. (laughs) That's true. Only one of those 20 feet was not in a running shoe. It was in a hiking boot. Ah. Uh, well, if they were L.L. Bean boots, that wouldn't surprise me. Incredibly long-lasting and well-made. That's mean ingenuity for you. <laughs> yeah, it's something that maybe people don't know about L.L. Bean. And being, you know, from Maine, we know this. You could find that boot on the shore. Not anymore. With a foot in it. <laughs> And take it to L.L. Bean and they'd give you a new one. They don't do that anymore? No, they, they have a they, of, severed they foot policy. <laughs> on their severed foot policy. I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that explains the shoes in the water. I love it, it though. It is, um, it's fascinating, but it's also a little disheartening. Um, and also... You were hoping for a serial killer. No, no, no. It's just, it's strange to think how many uh, bodies there are mm. in, in our water sources. <laughs> Why did you have to say that just as I was taking a drink? Just saying. Um, I think about that all the time, especially like uh, at my mom's old house, we had a well. Ah. And, you know, so I constantly would be concerned about like, this water tastes weird. Is there a rotting deer in there? (laughs) What's happening? Well, now that they've, for the most part, solved the uh, mystery of shoes in the the Salish Sea, we need to solve the mystery of how shoes get on the interstate. How does this happen? Right. Shoes. How come? How on come? the interstate all the time. Right. Anyway, there you go. Um, that story just freaked me out when I started reading it. The idea of just feet washing up. No, no other body parts, just the feet washing up by the score. Right. And I I like the idea that there is a, a reasonable theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't buy it. Obviously, there's a madman out there and he's Uh, taking out runners. (laughs) The Box of Oddities, our live show is February 27th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. VIP tickets are sold out, but there are general admissions tickets still left and you can get them on our website. Theboxofoddities.com. Please do consider joining us. Um, It's going to be fun. It might be a disaster, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also... 
JJ's sister might be coming, which yeah. is going to be just good fun. And one of my two of my sisters were talking about coming. How much fun would that be? Yeah, yeah, they're coming in from all over the country to support us. Well, actually, to watch us fail miserably right. in a it's public a venue. Joy. Yeah, um, I don't mind. That's fine. See, that's that's going to be the fun part of it for you guys. Is that uh, if the show goes well, great, Yay. you're entertained. If we crash and burn horribly. <laughs> It's still entertaining for you. We'll be emotionally and traumatically scarred, but it'll all be for entertainment, and we're willing to make that sacrifice. Plus, next day pancakes. Yes. Amen. Box of Oddities, twice a week. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.